Hey, Alan. And welcome to Dice Over Everything, the miniatures gaming podcast. All right. So you know how like maybe 10 years ago, it seems like a long time now, but there was this craze that on the long internet. Time ago. Yeah. Of like mental plasticity games, like video games. Did you ever notice that? Oh, things that are supposed to help you with your brain to, to remember stuff like brain training and stuff like that. Yeah, but it was really just an excuse to sell you on playing games and make you pay money for those games versus like free games that would be basically the same thing. Yeah, except that it's branded as, hey, you are becoming smarter. Yeah, so you, so you feel like you have an excuse for wasting piles of time playing games. Yeah. Yeah. But I think with like miniature games, I'm willing to use that as an excuse to just like buy into new games. It's like, pff, it's good for mental plasticity. Mental plasticity is your own excuse, even though you are relating it to something that was obviously a con. Well, no one, no one <laughs> admitted it was a con. It just went away. <laughs> it just went away. Nobody really works with us that stuff anymore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So what is the game that you recently played or, or bought into for mental plasticity? Oh, well, I guess I've bought into Necromunda, but I figure those rules are similar to 40K, so I'm not really gaining mental plasticity. It's also GW. Okay, so the idea is to keep your your, your mind nimble so that you can accept and try out different rules and different things. You don't get stuck in the same rut of playing the same game over and over again. Yeah, by trying the new rules and like learning new factions in those games and learning all the interactions, it's good good for your brain health. Yeah, I would say that it's better instead of calling it mental plasticity, I would call it like emotional plasticity, as in like you don't get stuck into one thing and get so comfortable with that thing that you cannot emotionally deal with playing a different rule set or something <laughs> like that. I feel like some people get too attached to certain games or certain rule sets. And then if those rule sets, uh, let's say, take a turn for the worse or for whatever reason then people get so invested so stuck in them that they can't try out new things even though those new things might be way more fun or way up more up your alley than the yeah just the mental challenge is too much for them and i think the term i was actually looking for was neuroplasticity even though we we might have figured it was bunk uh yeah well i guess technically you're right we never maybe maybe it's true maybe there are certain games depending on what you do besides that i feel like if all you do is watch tv i could see how that's worse for your brain than playing video games occasionally yeah i guess maybe it was on youtube i was seeing the ads and like all right well this is probably better for your brain than watching a whole bunch of Uh, youtube but uh, maybe they're still out there it's just that we all have ad blockers now so we see a lot less ads Mm, yeah i guess our brains are suffering for that <laughs> it's okay we don't play suffering. enough of those games so our, our minds are just like papered over them and we can't see them anymore it's okay we've kept our minds fresh by learning a whole bunch of new new oh my mind different my games mind's, my mind's feeling here <laughs> new and different games yes uh, specifically games. one game that's really good if you want to try try out different things or if you have already done it is warlords of erewhon mm-hmm Yep. Erewhon might seem like a weird name, but it's just nowhere backwards. Yeah, so you can remember how to spell it that way. It's Yeah, it's Warlords of Backwards Nowhere. So this is a game that has helped with our uh, neuroplasticity. Uh, 
to play, uh, basically this is a, a medium-sized fantasy skirmish game. So not like 10 people, but more like the medium-sized warbands kind of idea of like 30, 40 kind of, of, of uh, units, somewhere in between a mass battle and a skirmish game, I guess people would call it. Yep. So I think we took about nine units aside when we played. Would that be about right? Or maybe seven? Yeah, it, yeah it's somewhere between seven to 10, basically. I think it's, pro it's probably normal, depending on how many big units and models you use. Maybe eight to 10, something like that. Yeah, so you can choose to take units that are like up to 10 guys, or you can take like more elite things that are just one unit. So like you could get, I don't think you hit 100 models on the board if you were really pushing. But I don't you think you can get 100. No, you would probably for a and reasonable around 50, probably, 40, to, 40 to 70, probably. Yeah, 40 to 70 seems to be the range if you're reasonably building lists. Yep. Um, so, yeah, so you can also take monsters, which reduces the number of uh, like units or, or models you're bringing, even though a monster, you know, often takes a lot more effort to, to, to paint. So, yeah. the cool thing about the game is it's basically the idea you know warlords of Erewhon is, is the is that it's a generic fantasy uh skirmish game created by rick Priestley, who if you don't know that name he is one of the main writers for uh or he was one of the main writers for uh warhammer and warhammer uh in the future warhammer 40,000. Mm -hmm. uh so he was a uh, one of the main guys who did the initial set of games so so he's got a lot of what do you call it uh pedigree and uh after leaving games workshop uh he co-created another game for based in world war ii called bolt action which brought this kind of like fun non-historical fun kind of action excitement to um World War II historicals, <laughs> right? And uh, honestly, uh, if you haven't played Bold Action, uh, it's it's a it's a decent system. It's it's fun, um, but I've I don't think we've ever really been into World War II. No, that aesthetics never grabbed us. But we've we've played fantasy yeah. games before, for like smaller scale. Yeah, I feel like one of the issues with with World War II is it's a little bit too close still. Like it's crazy to me that some people want to play Vietnam. That's just, or like Afghanistan. I'm like, no, man, that's, that's, that's way too real. So, yeah. yeah. So even when you get to like real World War II, I think we mentioned this before, uh, that's too real as well. So I, I did initially play in the bolt action thing with their uh, fantasized version, like their weird World War II, which makes it a little bit less real, um, called Conflict 47. Uh, and then, uh, my real kind of introduction is uh, Warlords of Aeron, which has the basically um, the same kind of base rule set, but modified to a setting that we like a lot more. Yeah, because I guess after Games Workshop got rid of Warhammer Fantasy, there's been a sort of a vacuum in that space. So a whole bunch mm -hmm. of games have moved in to fill that. There's like Kings of War, there's Warlords yep. of Aeron, I'm trying to think there's a third one. There's Oathmark, which... Was yep. came out relatively recently compared to those yeah. ones. Fortunately, I think Oathmark came out during the pandemic, so it, it hasn't really hit. 
mm-hmm. uh, Warlords of Erewhon. So, so we played the generic um, Western fantasy version, like based on you know your classic Tolkien uh, Tolkien uh, fantasy. Uh, but they actually uh, released a bunch of boxes uh, of uh, new boxes with new miniatures and everything. Uh, this is Warlord Games, right? Um, released new boxes for Warlords of Erewhon uh, based in, with um, New World uh, Nations. So I think it's like, it's the Aztecs versus some sort of First Nations group. I don't, I don't actually know. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, but basically that's the newest version. And you can probably, if you go to a, a game store, that's where you'll probably see it because they have some pr- really nice box sets where you have these two kind of fantasy, Aztecs versus fantasy, um, you know, Nate, uh, Nate Americans fighting kind of thing. Yeah, as a warning, the miniatures are heroic scale, but if you're fine with that, they're, they're perfectly fine miniatures. They are actually less heroic scale though mm-hmm. than Games Workshop. That's true. It's true. So take with that what you will, but I they're still heroic scale, but less, it's less so. So, yeah. um, so the quality though, I would say it's not as good as Games Workshop, right? If you buy from Warlord, mm-hmm. but you get a lot more models, like in terms of, of deal, you will get a lot better deal when you buy their stuff. Yeah, so we can't speak about Oathmark, but I've played Kings of War once or twice. I think the big thing to differentiate the two is that Kings of War is meant to be played on a much bigger scale and that your guys basically play on trays so it's more of a rank and flank game and your facing starts mattering much more mm-hmm. whereas in warlords of erdogan your guys sort of you just got to keep them within one inch of each other your units aren't mm-hmm. supposed to go within one inches of your other units just probably to, so you know which ones are which so you don't get them yeah. confused and the facing doesn't matter and yeah that's, that's and it's, a, it's a smaller game right Mm-hmm. Like, like we, when we talked about it, you know, Kings of War and a lot of the old uh, Warhammer Fantasy esque games that took them on, took that, tried to take on that space directly, like you could say Age of Sigmar or um, Ninth Age, right? Uh, the game is much bigger, right? You have a lot more models on the table, whereas Warlords of Erewhon pairs it down enough to a size i don't know if you play war machine or something like that to a size that's a lot more manageable a lot easier to actually finish painting up an army you basically have like i don't know 50 50 to 100 percent less troops than you would have for like your age of sigmar or uh or your uh uh kings of war army right so it's just a lot easier to get them onto the table yeah, it's a size of game I could see myself actually playing, whereas those bigger games I would never. And it's much smaller than 40k as well, unless you're just building a Titan army, which mm-hmm. is bizarre. Now, uh, I think so in general, I guess, besides just being a gen- general fantasy, like, is that the basically the sales pitch, would you say, for Warlords of Erewhon, that it's just a, a nice, fun rule set for fantasy uh, with the right size? I feel like the one thing that probably made it not hit as well is that it really was, it really is set to be a generic kind of fantasy uh, miniatures game, right? Yeah, when we talk about miniatures games, we often like, as gamers, we get pretty deep into the fluff. Mm-hmm. Whereas this is just like, like that. Yeah. this is make what you want of it. Yeah. But honestly, if you're just 
if you're the type of person who like likes coming up with cool ideas for armies and then you see miniatures and you just want to buy them and like build a cool looking army around it because they have mm -hmm. if you go to i guess this gaming life.uk that's mm -hmm. i guess rick Priestley's website for warlords very the one and he puts up all the army lists on there keeps them up to date so the balance is like relatively decent like when you think of other games that just want to sell you codexes <laughs> or books no names mentioned yeah codex is a generic name right yeah, that yeah. you have to you got to keep paying to keep your armies balanced whereas this like he's committed to keeping the game like relatively up to date if there's anything that goes wrong which i think we've talked about before for games we like that this is exactly what you hope the game designers would be doing yeah so i think that's one of those things i guess because because the world is very generic the entire point is that you bring your world to the, the rule set so you have your own world you have your own ideas about what that world should be and then you're like i want to play some games in this world and then you can use warlords of erewhon to do it and like like we said he has a whole bunch of different army lists for a whole bunch of different uh, generic kind of armies right he has orcs he has pig-faced orcs that are kind of like slaver orcs. He has Olympians. Uh, he has, you know, obviously knights, of course, uh, goblins, gnolls, beastmen, and like the variations of different types of beastmen are like many and multitude, I think. I think there's rat men too. There's like a whole bunch of different types. There's snake men, yeah. There's snake men too. Yeah. So, so any kind of beast man, except maybe bird man. I don't know. Maybe they just added a bird man, but like. You've got winged monkeys. So I mean, <laughs> probably, probably change it around. Exactly. So this, that's the kind of thing, right? Um, in some ways, as long as you have the idea in your head of a world uh, and you, you can go and play world is a very one, right? Mm -hmm. Now, for some people, that's kind of a turnoff because, you know, they want to get invested or, or have that fluff that someone is telling them, that story uh, that's uh, feeding into the game and then going into a cycle, right? Whereas for Warlords of Erewhon, you have to bring the story and then, uh, you know, but the game set allows you to take whatever kind of armor you want to build and, excuse me, and, uh, and play that out, right? Yeah, because even with how the army lists are built, like you take the unit, but the units have a pretty good degree of customizability. So if your unit is like, say the beastmen, you think they're like little like kids armed with stone slings, like, yeah, you can you can do that. Or if you think you're they have like axes or swords or bigger axes, they they give different yeah. options to sort of customize it to the look that you've you've built with. Yeah. Now the game is not as you know super crunchy, but like you said, because it has the the wide strokes there, you can basically kind of take anything that not anything, but most of the things that you can take, or you can find a army list that allows you to bring kind of what you want to bring, right? Because I think the last time we played this, you know, a few times, uh, the last time we played, I think originally I would always use the uh, beastman list, but this time I decided for for my uh, my orc uh, for my pigs sorry so i have a pigman uh it's a pigman army from war machine that i used to play uh but this time i used the orc list to uh to represent my pigmen right and if you're fine with that like you know orcs what's the real what's the difference between an orc and a pigman 
like well they call it pig-faced orcs too or did yeah, you... they have pig-faced orcs no i use that normal okay. orcs right. because i didn't want slaves i wanted just normal orcs mm-hmm. the difference is the pig-faced orcs is a theme that apparently i don't know it's probably from some sort of media where the they had pig-faced orcs where there were a bunch of slavers but the list that I wanted to bring was more fitting with the orcs, right? They had like bolt throwers, and I wanted to use my can't my um, my artillery pieces, mm-hmm. right? So that kind of fit more with the orc list, right? Yeah. So basically, there was something that fit into the visual idea you had and the models you had for yeah. your army. Yeah. And I think a lot of the times when we do fantasy armies, you throw in a few monsters and things like that. You want like the giant beasts, especially now in terms of the uh model kits that you end up buying or let's say 3d printing or whatever there's a lot of show pieces which are like giant monsters and things like that right and how warlords of everyone does that is that you have your base list and then uh if you have uh if you clear it with your opponent first you can then buy monsters from the monster list to fill in whatever kind of monster you want so there's monsters like the classic one is just the Cyclops, which is like, you know, the giant uh, man beast kind of thing. Or you can have a, a literal giant, which is the even bigger giant man beast thing. Or you can have Manticores, Hydras, that kind of stuff, and all sorts of different types of monsters that you could throw in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's all the generic fantasy monsters. Yeah, so I guess that, you know, being able to run any kind of army. Uh, you know, is one kind of selling point slash not selling point if you if you want that flop. But like, why would you choose Warlords of Erewhon over any other kind of generic fantasy uh, rule set? Well, I think what we talked about that there's the two big other competitors, Kings of War, Oathmark, and I guess Age of Sigmar is in that space too. But the sheer size of the other games... I can't, we can't speak to Oathmark. At some point, we may try it, but mm-hmm. it plays better at that smaller size. Mm-hmm. So, and if you don't like the whole rank and flank thing of Kings of War, where if you attack from certain angles, Kings yeah. of War also gets further into the bucket of dice style of gaming. Mm-hmm. Whereas Warlords of Erewhon, you're typically like shooting one shot or one attack from each guy. Like, there's obviously guys that can get more attacks or heroes and other things, but traditionally, like, you're not going to roll a bucket of dice. So the game yeah, plays much faster, much smoother that way. Yeah, I feel like with the normal kind of 40 to, to 70 kind of guys, Warlords of Erewhon, I think one of the biggest things is that it's, I feel like it's quite polished, honestly. In terms of rule sets, like Rick Priestley, I don't know, has been creating games forever, right? So this kind of rule set is like, he put in basically everything that you you need, but he he was resisted adding in too much fluff, like, extraneous garbage i don't know maybe we're getting old but the idea of like you know we don't need at least i don't need i don't don't want to speak for you but like i don't need you know an ice knife versus uh, a blizzard knife and and have one do slightly different ice effects than the other right like i don't have have to have one guy you know do like you know every single little little thing be a little different so that everyone is a super special snowflake, right? What I want is a good set of rules that kind of present a, a, a nice, clean game that's easy to play, right? That allows you to just, 
either tell a story or get really into tactical depth, not what do you call it? Magic the Gathering kind of combo depth, right? If I want to play combo stuff, I generally will play card games or, or, or video games or things like that. But like strategic depth, like placing your units where, where they're going, you know, choosing where I want to move these guys and where I want to uh, allocate my force to like outflank my enemy or like break through at certain points and then have the dice, have the game play out in a way that makes what happens feel exciting and heroic. Yeah. So when you bring up those like extra combo mechanics, that now brings me to think of Song, and Ice, Song of Ice and Fire. Mm-hmm which I haven't played that much either. I know you've bought more into it, but that yeah, thing seems... I was e- just talk, thinking the other day that I'm going to sell my Song of Ice and Fire. I'm not that into it. Uh, well, that's a pretty good conclusion about it, but I think that game plays more around like comboing abilities off and uh-huh. things like that. And it also doesn't, it doesn't play as naturally because you have a lot of odd mechanics around the movement where things yeah, shift exactly. and lock together. A lot of stuff is very board gamey, which can create a... Honestly, the game is fun. The game, I think, is actually a good game, I guess you could say, but it is not, it is more a board game than almost any other miniatures game I've played. Yep. I think, like, the only other game that's more like a board game slash card game is like, uh, what's that game? Shade Spire which is more of a card game than a miniatures game. And then this one I feel like is more a board game than a miniatures game, right? Of course, it's still a miniatures game, right? A Song of Ice and Fire, man. Uh, but there's so much board game mechanics that, like, like you said, there's a lot of comboing. There's a lot of weird gamey mechanics that can be fun when you think through them, but do not make it feel like you're representing a battle that's happening on the field. It feels more like you're doing you're making just like cool analytical decisions as opposed to directing a battle that's happening on the field. Yeah. You don't feel like a commander in that. Yeah. You, don't you feel, feel like, like an operator. Army. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You feel like an operator instead, right? Or like you feel like you're a game player basically, as opposed to a commander. Right. Yeah. And that's because of the game, game effects, like even something which is like fundamental in the game of, regenerating guys so like you will lose guys right which is you you take them off the tray but then you can heal guys in song of ice and fire so you put the guys back on the tray and i'm like where are these guys coming from man like this is this is Uh breaking my immersion and another thing that is one of my pet peeves is the archers shoot 12 inches and it's not just like you know, like archers with tiny bows. These are long bowmen. Shoot 12 inches. 12 yeah, a, inches and people move six inches. Yeah, it's a it's a much bigger abstraction than most games do for shooting weapons. Like Warlords of Erlewan, your standard bows are shooting up to 24, which that's mm-hmm. yeah, kind of short. Your crossbows and long, other bows are going up to 30. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's like... Not as, it's most of the board. Like when you start your army off, you're going to start shooting each other pretty soon so it doesn't feel as yeah, attractive like, yeah like bows are 20 inches sorry 20 it's not 24 it's 20 oh, inches it and the long bows are 30 inches so like it is still a little bit short not a little bit it's it's a decent it's decently short relative to the actual like we're to scale things 
down, right? Because, you know, bows in real life, well, sorry, the, the scale of miniature gains, right? 28 millimeters, around one to 56. So short bows should probably easily shoot 24 inches, right? That should be like an effective range of a bow, uh, which is more than, than 20, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> whereas a long bow should basically be able to shoot all the way across your, your board, assuming you're shooting it in the, you know, the, the arcing fire normal longbow kind of kind of way, right? Which in Warlords of Aeron, because it's not a skirmish game, right? It's it's more like, you know, you have a guys of 10 guys shooting. Uh, you would feel like they should be able to shoot across the board. But like you said, that's way better than in, in a lot of these other games where like longbowmen have like 24 inches range, which is, you know, too short, basically. Yeah. Not realistic. Anyhow, so a quick last thing about Game of, well, it's not called Game of Thrones, Song of Ice and Fire. I think the miniatures from that would be great for Warlords of Aeron 1 or any other fantasy oh, like generic point. miniatures. They're, they're amazing point. fantasy miniatures, but just throw those trays away and just use them as cool guys. So. Yep. And then you can play Warlords of Erewhon. Um, And you can even, because Warlords of Erewhon is so generic in terms of its setting, right? There's basically almost no fluff in it. It's just basically saying, here are the rules that you, so you can play any fantasy world that you want. Um, you can play Song of Ice and Fire, but with Warlords of Erewhon rules. Like they have yeah. the army list for you, right? That's, you can literally that's actually a cool idea. I didn't think of that until now, yeah. Yeah, so like you could literally take your Song of Ice and Fire armies, buy the Warlords of Erewhon book and then play that out, right? It'll play more like a standard miniatures game instead of a board yeah, game. A board gaming thing. And and like I said, there's nothing wrong with playing a board game, right? It's just, you know, I'd I'd rather play more war gamey like things, right? More more um more simulationist than just like board game fun, you know, tiddlywings kind. Of, that, you know, I shouldn't say that because that's obviously. <laughs> denigrating that kind of game gameplay i love board games i'm saying i'm just saying but like not when i'm playing miniature games that's all so i don't think we talked about the activation system yet but i do like for this type of game where it's meant to be like less board gamey and less just like theoried out is the whole system of activations where you basically just get an activation per unit throw them yep. all in the bag and then randomly draw one out and see who goes. So you aren't just sort of being like, oh, well, I'm going to go first next turn. So I'll move in this yeah. position and block you from this location. It's more like, I don't know, maybe you'll get three guys to go in a row. Yeah. And I can't count on just leaving my like good unit right out front of you because yeah. it'll be shot to death. So yeah. You... So the normal ways that a lot of games play and it is, is you either, I move all my guys that, and do everything with my guys and then you do everything. Or it's like, I choose one unit and activate, then you choose one unit and activate. But Warlord Severo one, like we said, is, is a bolt action uh, successor, right? And mm -hmm. one of the innovative things of bolt action that a lot of people really love is the activation system, which is instead, for every unit, you put, put a token in a bag. And when you draw a token, you get to activate a unit, which allows that kind of... Um, flow of battle make it does make it feel a lot more um chaotic. it's more chaotic yeah, yeah. it feels a lot fun. more like like when you break up that kind of order even though it's you know technically everyone's still order i guess after activates once when the when the round is over the order of battle makes it feel a lot more like you're you're simulating the actual chaos of war 
Yeah, but there's there's just less. You can't just go and abuse the activation mechanics to have something guaranteed to go your way. So I like I like that aspect of it because it forces you to play more around your tactical positioning and less just yeah. around gaming mechanics. So I I appreciate that. Also, I guess they've on top of that for like how things activate, they've got the whole pins system. So yeah. that revolves another thing. Again, this is all like. Basically, Warlord's Verwall, by the way, is basically bolt action, except with a more, um, with except with a close combat mechanics. Yeah, so even and, and magic, and monsters. Yeah, so even though it's a first edition, it's come from somewhere else that's yes. like developed the system well and now just brought it somewhere else. So it feels yeah. feels more flushed out than you'd usually get from a first edition. Yeah, definitely. That's exactly the, the kind of thing. That's what I'm saying. It's polished. It has all this kind of pedigrees, things like that. Yeah. So the pinning mechanic, I think, is great as well. Yeah. You want to go through into that? Yeah. Basically, anytime you take a hit from shooting, you get a pin. Whenever one of your guys goes down from being hit in like melee combat, you get a pin. And then after, once you go to try and activate that unit again, you then have to go and take a look at their command stat and use that combined with the number of pins to see if you can actually make the unit like activate at all yeah otherwise they're basically just stuck there from the pin and they will slowly start shedding the pins so that kind of idea getting locked into combat like locked it blocked from like harrying or or just being exhausted is there and it feels very interesting and and uh and fun and it's one of those things where like it's a great mechanic for showing morale basically because if a guy has high you know uh what's it called high leadership then they can yeah, even despite all of this pinning like they can still activate and keep on going uh so that feels um it's a great way to represent that which you don't often see in other games done very well right yeah yeah most so, of it all around the guys being dead in other games yeah, but yeah. whereas if you have a unit with high command in this game like mm-hmm. even though they might be mostly dead they'll still if they have high command, they might be willing to fight to the last man, which or or the other way around where they're mostly alive, but they become pinned so much that they get basically get stuck there. And if you get too many pins, if they exceed your leadership, which which generally means you've taken quite a bit of casualties, right? Because you know, you, you whenever you're shot, you get a pin, right? So then like you have to have been shot a lot <laughs> to get a bunch of pins to exceed your leadership, but you can also be broken and run off the board that way. Yeah, I think which... they call it command, but anyhow. Oh, sorry, command. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So that kind of mechanic is great, in my opinion. Um, yeah. Um, and it allows, I think, um, an interesting way to deal with like giant monsters and stuff like that, which we'll talk about in a bit. Um, uh, where, uh, you can defeat them without saying, you know, you chop the head off the monster kind of thing. So do we have any comments, I guess, before that about like the missions themselves? That's more about how the game sort of plays out. Yeah. So I think, I guess just, just. Uh, we talk a lot about missions in our podcast about like how, how from our perspective on wargaming, the missions are what make the game often or break the game. Yeah, if you don't have good enough missions. I think the missions are are decent. We only played a couple of missions, right? Yeah. Um, and there were the, just the normal kind of killy kind of missions. But looking uh, after that and, the, and behind that, there was a wide variety of different missions that you could end up playing uh, that I think, you know, it'd be 
you know, they're why they're they're interesting at least, even though we didn't try them out. So I think even the killing missions that we played uh, were were quite fun, um, and they were they, they were you know slightly different, right? Because again, I guess morale. I think this is one of those things that you know modern games kind of shy away from, but like there's a morale kind of there's a there's an army-wide morale like if you lose too many guys i think you lose half your units then you also your army can just break and leave and mm -hmm. so that was basically the difference in the two uh are the two uh missions that we we played right one was was straight up you know killing more guys which is you know the whatever kind of generic mission and the second one was like whoever breaks first, right? Which is kind of fun. And you could say it's a little, like, <laughs> I guess some people would say it's a little bit random, but to me, that was, that's kind of fun because like, if you lose 50%, you're at risk of breaking first, right? Yep. But if you roll well, your army might not break. And then if, if you're only a little, you can try to hold on to like, get your opponent, to push your opponent below 50% so that they can break first, right? And if you just, that kind of dynamic, of, which, you could say that doesn't represent skill, but it does represent fun, right? Yeah. Because a lot of the times when you play games with, with Killy, like if you got killed too much, you're like, oh, I'm never coming back. But in the second mission we played, technically, if you're just lucky and roll well, you, your army could just, even though they're way below 50, they might still stay in the game. And then you're like, I just need to kill this one more unit for my opponent and then they have a threat of winning. And then if you, if you continue to roll well and, and your army doesn't run away and then you just force your opponent down to below 50% and they break, that's, even though you could say that's unfair, right? If I had three turns where I could have break, broke and then finally on the fourth turn, on the last turn, like your opponent broke, mm -hmm. it, it's not, it's not uh, quote unquote fair, but it does tell a really great story, right? Yep. Where where you can really imagine what what those guys were thinking on the battlefield, right? Where they're just holding on, all their their opponents are falling left and right, but they held on so much that the, the opponent just like they lost the morale and they broke, right? That, yeah, like they were down on numbers, great. but they just had more yeah. grit and they pulled it out, and the other guys just freaked out. They're like, "Oh my god, we'll just." Yeah. <laughs> so many of us before we win let's just get out of here yes exactly so that kind of feeling like that kind of uh, storytelling is you know littered throughout you know the remaining missions and things like that right again mm -hmm. this is one of those things where like we often talk about how games like war machine felt very gamey in terms of their missions even though they were interesting missions to play and they started out as somewhat realistic missions they ended up feeling more like sports right? These weird rules, specific, not, not, not symbolic of an actual battle that might happen, right? It felt more just like, you know, you control this zone for three times, and then you win. And I'm like, why is this zone more important than that zone versus whatever? Like, why are these three different zones, like giving you points? It just felt very gamey as well, right? Whereas when we started playing Infinity, those were, missions were so full of story, that you know it was a very like a breath of fresh air so like i think warlords of everyone i think their their missions are are, are good and they, they tell good stories again like like the mission we just told you mm -hmm. maybe they're not as skill uh expressive you could say yep. but uh they're definitely fun and, and they're filled with um 
storytelling potential. Mm-hmm. All right. Do we want to go back to our thoughts on monsters Game. or not? Uh, gameplay, I think. I don't, what else do we I want to see about gameplay? I think there's uh, just a general, like, did we talk about heroes and wizards and things like this? Is there much to say about that besides the fact that you can represent your heroes and your wizards? Yeah, if you feel like taking, you can't, you can usually only take one wizard in most factions, but like they're not crazy game changing pieces. Well, they, they can be. We'll get back to that. Uh, we'll, we'll get back to that. Yeah. But, I think they actually are. I think it's kind of interesting because your hero and your, your, um, so your hero is obviously, you know, like the best models or models in combat. And then your wizard has like a bunch of different spells that they can use to cast to support your army. And I do think those guys end up being the linchpins of your army because like the spells can buff your guys to make them better at fighting or activate again or, and your, your hero allows you to activate, you know, on mass and attack right together, which is really useful in terms of uh you know centering your army and 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 hitting your opponent for a big punch oh and 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 your army can use your leadership of your hero which basically usually just means they get plus one leadership and again though remember unlike unlike other games high leadership matters because once you start getting pins if you fail your leadership you can't even activate yep which means your leader has to play close to the front rather than just hiding in the back like your wizard can hide in the back but so, your leader to make full yeah, use of them needs to like lead from the front. So, yeah, and the plus one, uh, it might seem small, right? But it's a big deal if it means if it's the difference between your unit activating and not. And and just so you understand, it's basically ten percent. Just I think don't think we mentioned this, but like Warlords of Everyone uses D10s as opposed to D6s. Um, I do like D10s for in, just in terms of thinking and odds because. Um, you we know, maths. Yeah, because because exactly, our society runs on base ten, so uh, just everyone is more more understands better what a d ten means when you roll it. Yep. All right. So so yeah, I think the the heroes uh, and and the wizards are quite good. I think uh, for people who've played, let's say, bolt action uh, or these other kind of uh, you know warlord games with that same kind of system i think there's a sci-fi version as well um gates of antares beyond the gates of antares um i think one thing we we should probably fill in like we mentioned is the close combat thing which i think is one of the major differences between this and uh the other games oh then close combat you can keep sort of fighting to if you win you can keep pressing to win yeah yeah, exactly. So, like, close combat is the same as shooting. Uh, so, yeah, it's basically the same as shooting, uh, which I think I believe it's is quite different in you know bolt action and things like that. Can't remember it at this point, but um, but it's the same. Like, you have you know it's it's a fantasy game, so close combat is much more important, right? So you get bonuses uh, when you're charging, but people with arrows do get to shoot you before you charge in. And that seems like it would advantage uh, people with ranged weapons a lot. 
X, you know, like ranged weapons can shoot you before you make it while you're trying to make it to them. And then they can also shoot you when you're trying to rush them, except for the fact that uh, when you win in close combat, like you can do a lot more damage. And oftentimes, you know, the close combat geared guys are a lot better at, at close combat than, you know, the range guys. So you, you basically do more damage, right? The weapons are better. And then on top of that, uh, one of the big things is that um, if you win combat in, in melee, you can attack again, right? Whoever wins combat can decide that they want to attack again, which means that you can you basically get an extra combat, right? Mm-hmm. In and that you get fight. that round of combat as well. Like when you charge, you get a bonus. Mm-hmm. And if you win and can choose and, to continue do a fighting, second attack yeah. again. So it, yeah. it is good. I like that system where it encourages you to like push forward rather than sort of holding back. Yeah. Now that does mean that like, if you charge someone and you lose combat, they might kill you back. <laughs> back. They're they, like, I want to fight. Now they yeah. have the advantage on the yeah. next round. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then it, but you know, that really depends on how good your close combat weapons are. I think what, what the last game that we played, the linchpin was you had a large uh, shooting army and it way outperformed in close combat where I charged that unit multiple times and ended up rolling badly on my combats, even though my guys were tooled for close combat. It just so happened that they did badly against that one unit of archers and then that archers rolled well in close combat and then wiped mm-hmm. every single guy in close combat. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, that can definitely happen. Yeah. Our last game, my bowman just yeah, sat in yeah. the middle of the board and kept taking like round after round of charges. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But like w- the game ended in close combat, right? The game was won or lost depending on how these close combats turned out because close combat is so brutal because you get like double close combat. Right. Like you get mm-hmm. twice as many close combats once you reach there and the weapons are more deadly. Like usually, you know, games wrap up more quickly there. Or also you get more pins. So if you kill like half a unit, you could just chase the army off often because they'll just have so many pins that they just disperse, right? Yeah, it's way more, way more dangerous for them for breaking yeah. your opponent. Yeah, so uh so to me that models it ended up modeling well the kind of fantasy world right where archers and ranged is useful but in the end like it's useful for harrying guys down slowing them down giving them pins before they reach you but then the real end of the game is when those two forces like hit with the close combat to resolve who actually will end up winning in the end so i really like that the way that ended up playing it felt like accurate i guess to my mind's eye of how battle should happen. Now I'm not historian buff, so I'm basically basing it off of fantasy movies and shit like that. <laughs> like Lord of the Rings. It's basically based, it, it plays like how Lord of the Rings movies play out. That's the way I think about it. Yeah, it plays like how you how you envision it. Like if you have really high value, like super skilled melee warriors, you're not gonna want to put them out front. You're gonna want to put a bunch of chaff out front. Yes. Let them run out. Take the shots. Yeah. All the shots from the Bowmans. They go down, and then you're you're good. Your hard hitting guys just like run just through, clean up every single just one. Yeah. Crush all their archers if that's what they decide to do. But if you have archers, maybe you decide to like fire the archers for as long as possible, and then yeah. you reverse your army so that your yeah. infantry who are in the back 
then switch because you can't just shoot through them. So there's like an, yeah. like the overall tactics is what you're going for in that game, not your yeah. like. Yeah, and a lot of these are like small tweaks and small differences from other games, but they matter. Like one of the things that I thought was interesting is that you cannot shoot through your own units. So often in a lot of other games, you would layer close shooting units like five rows deep so they could just all blast away. In this game, you can only have one row of shooting, which makes some sort of sense, right? Right. If you're trying to shoot someone with crossbows or something, you can't shoot through your, your own army because you will probably hit your own army and kill them. Yeah, so <laughs> that can shoot over guys, but not too many. Yeah, exactly, right? Um, and we, to, to be fair, we'd never use those rules. But like, mm-hmm. um, but that helped balance out, you know, the, the shooting armies, right? You know, your, your, your shooting line has to be a line. It can't just be like, you know, a clump of guys who are all just shooting, you know, randomly, right? Well, you actually have to create a firing line, which is a line to be able to fire, which is cool in terms of the way that it affects you know the battle how they have to line up their formations even though you're not in like boxes like in uh uh what do you call it kings of war or 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 warhammer fantasy battles right mm-hmm. it creates and naturally creates some formations because of those things yep yeah the whole part where if one guy touches then they all get in there's it's a it's an abstraction, but it makes the gameplay faster for the yeah. close combat. Because in like games like 40k that people are more familiar with, mm-hmm. in like every version, you've got to get it within like a certain distance of the yeah, fighting yeah. line. But in this, you're just like, all right, one guy got in, we'll just yeah. the fights on. Yeah, I think I think this is one of those things again, right? Where it just feels more polished. Where where you know Rick Priestley has created so many of these different games, right? He's done the idea of like only guys within three inches can fight, right? Because that's quote unquote more realistic, right? But then does it really matter most of the times? Like, yeah, it feels a little bit weird occasionally, but most of the time, is it going to end up feeling weird? No, right? It's going to feel right because of the way, you know, battles work, work out, right? So is it worth, is the extra complicated rules for saying I only guys within let's say two inches or three inches of the front line being able to fight is that worth it for the gameplay? Mm-hmm. And like, does it playing make Warlords of Erewhon? It doesn't really make a big di- difference. No, so I think it's totally those, worth it. Yeah, fine. In those games, you have to like sit around, like spending lots of time just like measuring every last little thing that takes you out of the experience. Whereas yeah. unless you're like, okay, we measured one thing, we know what we're doing, let's keep the game going. So exactly. So it's like totally worth that type of extraction. And and you do lose a little bit of realism, but like overall 90 95% of the time it didn't make a difference. Yeah. Like the the battles happened when they did and you didn't have to be like finicky, super finicky because of it. So the general, you know, movements of the battle felt like what you were trying to do, not not trying to perfectly place guys within 2 inches of whatever, right? yeah yeah all right so i think overall we've been quite effusive of the game uh there's a couple of things that we don't necessarily like uh i think we mentioned before uh the fact that there's no story is one issue that a lot of people might not like um but one of the things that i think we both kind of felt was off uh, was the monsters. Yeah, because every time we've played, we've taken the monsters, partly just to speed the game up, because you can dump so many points into a monster that it cuts the number of units on the board down, speeds the game up. 
But for their points, I think we found they generally just went down a bit too easily. Like this, they kind of they suck. Fight, they fight differently than the rest of the army, where they've got tables going on, which gives yeah. them lots of flavor. Which yeah, tables, having tables actually seems fine because they're not going to behave like your other guys who do pinning and that. They're going to sort of like take wounds. Yeah, like lose the flavor eye is so great. Like. Mm-hmm. Instead of dying, you basically roll on a table and then bet. Like if you break their armor, instead of dying, you roll on a table and bad stuff happens. Yeah. The only okay. issue is like, it's pretty easy to end up. Gets it's still. I feel like it's still. It's still easy to to end up rolling on the, on that table, and that table is so brutal. Mm-hmm. So we took monsters, and the monsters have like resistance twelve, which means that most weapons will only damage them on a 10, right? Like on a failure, right? Uh, because their resistance is just so high, right? It doesn't even matter, right? Uh, so. Yes, you've, you basically try to attack them with weapons that actually cut that down. Yes. So the rule is basically, if, you're, if, if your weapon can't reduce their resistance to below 10, then mm-hmm. you have the result on the monster damage table, right? So the really bad results on the monster damage table are like six to 10 or whatever, five to 10 or something, six to 10. And then the less bad ones are one to five, right? Mm-hmm. The thing is the rolls on one to five are still pretty bad for the monster. Yeah. <laughs> and so I feel like what happened is that like, whenever, you know, whenever, if, if, if your monster takes a lot of hits, so, so like a normal squad has 10 guys, right? You're gonna res- you're gonna resist maybe like half the rolls against them, right? Or maybe less than half, right? So, but you still to kill that squad, you still need to take something like five or six hits to kill them, right? Mm-hmm. A monster, uh, every hit that it takes, it still has to roll on the resistance table, and on a on a ten, then you have to roll on the monster damage table, right? Yeah, the hits have to be harder, but still, like... Yeah, so, like, it's like a save. It's basically their save is, like, 1 out of 10, which seems really good, except they still are taking the same number of hits. So, like, a squad guy of 10 guys might might actually end up taking, like, 5 or 6 hits, right? But they just resist a lot of them. A monster will take 5 or 6 hits. You might not roll that 1 out of 10, but chances are 50-50 you're going to roll on that 1 out of 10 if you take that 5 or 6 hits. And one roll on that monster table is brutal because most of those results on the monster table, even one to five, uh, one to five, are really bad for your monster. Yeah, like we're not talking about the one in ten result or like the the one ten result that kills them. That is what it is, isn't it? It's not the two in ten. Yeah. So if you if you reduce your monster's resistance, like the attack reduces the monster's resistance to below ten, then you can roll on the full table, and I think one out of ten on the monster table outright kills them. Yeah, and the more wounds they take, the more it increases the result on the table. Yeah, but I just it just felt like anything that could, no, it doesn't increase the thing. It just it just you just keep on rolling on on the table. Yeah, but I felt like any hit that goes through like causes your monster like a lot of problems. Yeah, so like I think the we let me pull up the monster table right now. But basically, I think it was like six half, like I think six to ten. Right, so if if you dam- if you have the one out of ten hits, right, that goes through to your monster, right, even when like and remember, it's any hit. So you could get like the shittiest attack against the monster, 
it has a one out of 10 chance to hurt the monster quite badly, basically, because 10 always fails, right? No matter what. Uh, so, so what that means is you really just want to fill, like, fill that monster with like crappy attacks to get over it. Because as soon as you um, like roll on that monster table, there's like so many bad things that happen. I'm just trying to pull it up right now. Yeah, and a lot of the monsters are larger. So unlike regular guys, you can shield behind your front lines. The monsters can just, you can just choose to start pinpointing the monster so it can't get, so it never gets to battle. Yeah, exactly. Like it's harder to, to protect them. Like you can, like we said, like your, your, your strong, a powerful infantry unit can just hide behind uh, your weak ones. Mm -hmm. So the rules are uh, four and five is the one that is, you know, quite common and you take one plus d3 pins and then you reduce your monster's resistance by d3 yeah so now now so, you start taking more hits on the table uh-huh. yeah so one plus d3 pins that's like you know two or three pins that's like a lot of pins and a monstrosity doesn't have so much more command than other units right it still only has like what eight whatever like you can only take eight pins and then it'll just run off right seven eight pins so like three pins and technically you shed one one pin whenever they activate but like what ended up happening was the resistance losing that resistance can drop your monster's resistance below 10 and then you end up rolling on the full table and then things get brutal on that table right Mm -hmm. so i have no idea of taking like small units of shooters because you can like take units of five to ten of shooters often, and you choose the guys one at a time. So I don't know if we haven't played enough to know if a strategy is to just take a whole bunch of like small units of five with like really just crummy weapons pins. and just keep dropping pins on people. Yeah, so. it just feels like the four to six, which is like so that's four or five. That's like a forty percent chance, right? Because like if they do the one out of ten, right? One, two, three. So one is one pin, one, and then two and three are like one plus D3 pins. But the, the four and five are the ones that are uh, one plus D3 and the redu- reduction of, of uh, power. That's like 40% of the time mm-hmm. when a monster fails their uh, resistance, right? They're gonna, their resistance is going to go down, right? And then once it goes down, they're going to be like failing the resistance even more, right? So it just feels really easy to destroy even these powerful monsters. And it's one thing if the monsters were relatively priced, but monsters are quite expensive. Like you could take a fully 10 man kitted out super elite infantry and you still wouldn't reach your monsters points level. No, not for like your your Cyclops or your giant. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then like your your hero unit, right? Which is your hero and their bodyguard? Wasn't that's cheaper than that's still like only sixty or seventy percent the cost of a monster of the monster we took, which is the Cyclops. And I don't know. It seems like that monster that the hero unit was much better, performed much more consistently. It could hide behind people. It could buff their command right of people around them. So like that hero unit just felt like a lot more impactful. You could say maybe it should be, but then why is the monstrosity so freaking expensive? Right. So yeah, I well, guess the question is, maybe it's do you just think so that, that the problem. Yep. Maybe it's just so that you're like, if you agree to play it, 
you're not getting a mm-hmm. big advantage if your opponent decides to like go crazy on it. So maybe it's yeah. just there for the fluff. It's not actually there for like tactical play. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Maybe the idea is that you know your monsters are just not well, supposed to be that good. Like thirty percent overpriced, so you're not like breaking the game yeah. ever by by bringing one. Yeah, that's that's a that's a definite possibility, right? Because the, what would be even worse is if the monsters were too good and then everyone took monsters and the monsters just ripped through the other person's army, right? Yeah. So it's one of those things though, like, do you feel like the rules for the monsters, like we said, they were very fluffy and themey, right? Mm-hmm. Um, do you so, think then actually the monsters are probably fine in terms of the rule set? It's just, they were probably just too expensive for points, which is an easy awesome. fix when you think about it. So I think because the game's not like super serious that the monsters are fine. If you agree with your opponent to bring like a certain number of points of monster, like bring minimum like 120 points of monster out of your thousand. Yeah. And then that's just theme that you both have monsters and like, Oh no, I got to protect my monster from anything that would like <laughs> poke him and fall over. Cause honestly we were playing for points. So at one point yeah. I'm like, Oh, you hurt my monster's resistance. And I need to keep points on the board. I'm going to run away with the monster. Yeah, except your so, monster could only move one because he was so hurt. Yeah, well, he got he got away. It's more that he he didn't move anywhere closer. He limped away, kind of thing. Yes. Yeah. So th- that's the other thing, like right. The biggest benefit the monsters have is if they're over ten. Or it's not necessarily the biggest mon- thing is that they don't die immediately. But like. The thing that makes them much more survivable is if they have over 10 resistance, then you only roll the one to five on the monstrosity table, right? But um, it does feel just like, uh, there's a lot of weapons like that can just strike through, that that can reduce the monster's resistance to below 10, right? Like I, my wizard, right this is one of those things where the wizard felt amazing because you know my wizard basically had one like two spells but but he used basically one spell the entire game which was lightning bolt and it feels quite thematic that you know you know you you have this giant monster right so i had a monster we both have the same cycle same monster right the cyclops my monster ran <laughs> terribly got the jump on one of your units your your wizard unit and i was like oh i'm gonna wipe out your wizard unit then move keep on moving on except he rolled terribly he rolled that one out of ten to like break resistance and then rolled the worst you know 40 percent technically to reduce the resistance and then lost his resistance lost a ton of his resistance and then literally the next round your war or the next activation your warlord activate activated ran into my monster and just like chopped him in two well he took a whole bunch of pins and then just exploded from all the pins i think oh that's right he didn't die he didn't get chopped into he just like took so many pins he ran off mm-hmm. right but like 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 you said like that's like seven or eight command right so like He's going to run off fairly easily if he's taking that many pins in one go, right? Yep. And then and and then on the other hand, your monster got uh, shot by your wizard just kept dropping shot lightning. by my wizard like dropping lightning and and basically and the lightning lightning could also break through resistance, so it kept being yep. kept being a problem every time it took a hit cuz it wasn't rolling like with 10 resistance and taking half on the table. It was just taking real hits yeah. on the table over and over. Yep. 
so uh ended up being quite bad for these monsters so for 180 points out of a thousand they seem really weak <laughs> so they just you've got to agree you've got to agree to a minimum you can't be like oh we yeah, could take I feel one like, person, and one person yeah. takes one person doesn't then you're just like screwing with your opponent you should be forced like yeah, minimum yeah. point the monsters yeah i feel like if one person takes monsters and one doesn't it's a real disadvantage for the player who took monsters <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so, which i don't know in some ways it's kind of cool right which it, it actually does make me wonder if there's like if about playing warlords of erewhon but like you could technically play warlords of erewhon like um historically right don't take any wizards don't take monsters right don't take there's like it's like six magic weapons, right? So there's not even that many magic weapons, right? But and then you can play like historical battles, right? Yeah, you take your catapults, you take you don't take orcs, you take a bunch of like Celts, yeah. you take the humans. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can play ancients basically, right? Yeah. So I think that I don't know. I think overall the rule set is is quite good. The right size for a larger game. Like like I said, I think we've said many times there's nowhere we're gonna play giant battle games anymore we're done with that you could play giant battle games with this but the standard point level doesn't make it like crazy yeah i um yeah so but overall i think it it plays really well like we said the abstractions are in the right place it plays smoothly it's not too complicated the 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 whole pinning and everything like that uh is great and the close combat dynamic between that and shooting i feel like is well balanced out for the units not the monsters, but for the units, it feels like you're actually playing out, you know, these kind of larger fantasy kind of battles. So um, honestly, I really like this game. If I was into this kind of size of game, uh, I'd probably play this more. Like when I think about this type of game, right, this type of size, I would reach to Warlords of Erewhon. Yeah, the thing is, it's, it's not our type of game because... Mm-hmm just don't feel like sitting there for playing that long and we're willing to play a bit deeper games which is Mm -hmm. why we play infinity so just between the size of game to like transport the army around set the board up and everything else it's just like the barrier is a little just not where we want to be yeah i think one of the biggest things when you're talking about setting up actually this is probably my biggest peeve with this game uh is that it tells you for a normal game you should be playing on a four by six table yeah. No one has room for that anymore. Like I know the I have to plays... set up special boards onto my table to be able to play it. It's just so much more effort. Like, can we just, the game plays... can we all just yep? The game plays tactically properly like that because like depending on where yeah. you position your units, they're out of position or they're in position. So it yeah, it's good for the tactical nature it's... of the game, but it's bad for like having yeah. to get it all set, set up. It up. Mm-hmm. yeah right all of the ranges and everything are set up in a way that makes sense like the game is definitely made for four by six right um like we used we used the full table oh yeah right mm-hmm. yeah oh yeah that's the other thing like our mission you know people could come on our, from the side right which allowed us to use the full table from one end to the other right and then uh that decided you know who engaged who and that kind of stuff and especially for holding holding areas and things like that but I don't want to play on four by six tables and I would rather, you know, in some ways, if you want to play certain types of games, you have to play on that size, but I'd rather just play 
you know, the vanguards of armies and just say, you know, like there's an army happening outside of my area and like maximum I'm playing on a four by four, but preferably smaller. Mm -hmm. I'm at the point now where I'd rather play on like a, a three by three or even a two by three. That's the, that, like, you know, that size that we set up for our game. So yep. it's just well, easier to play. Well, the game's right for some people, so we won't, we won't bash that part of it. Oh yeah. And then, and then one final thing, one niggling thing is uh, the book cover. Now I really like the white portion of it. I think it's kind of cool. Um, and the art is great, but I feel like the art, which is just a picture of a, a shaman summoning like three guys to rise from the dead does not sell this game. No, this whole... is, looks like the cover of an RPG. Yeah, it misrepresents the medium-sized fantasy battles. I expect for this game, yeah. you should be seeing like two armies clashing at the front line. Like that's yeah. what this game is. And they didn't, yeah. didn't represent Instead, it. Instead, well. it's just one guy being heroic, like not even fighting, just like raising a couple of skeletons. Yeah. It really did not does not sell, like the cover does not tell you what the game actually is. Inside the the, the cover there's a bunch of pictures of miniatures and everything like that and, and it's much better but just that cover like it's pretty but it's not the right cover in my opinion for the game yeah and they've come up with a few few of their own miniatures for the game which are they're okay but i think mm -hmm. the miniatures that mantic came out for kings of war are far better so if you're trying to like accumulate lots of miniatures for not a huge amount of money like you're not going to go to the GWs of this world. You're not going to buy like two packs of miniatures. You're going to try and buy boxes of 10. So I think that Mantic probably is a little more solid when it comes to the miniatures, even though you can both games, you can play with whoever miniatures you want. There's, yeah. That's probably a direction to look. And I think like, like we mentioned Song of Ice and Fire, you can use those miniatures. Those are great, right? Those are 12 man units that you can use to play. Um, I will say though, like we, are, we were playing the, the Western fantasy kind of version. I am really interested about the, you know, the new world uh, version of Warlords. I feel like they kind of thought about, they, they thought about, you know, the criticisms, the other criticisms we had, right? Where it's, it did, the original Warlords of Erewhon book is so generic. It doesn't necessarily catch people's attention and eye, right? Whereas when you brand it something so thematic, right? Like fantasy Aztecs versus like uh, Native Americans, like First Nations. Um, First Nations Canadian, so I think it's probably American. So I don't know what you call them. Um, but um, but that kind of aesthetic is very distinct and different. And you know, people haven't really done that before, right? In terms of miniature gaming. So I wonder if doing that gives it a lot of that, you know, storytelling aspect that would hook you, right? Like I haven't I haven't bought the book. I'd love to, to take a look at the rule book, but I wonder if they, you know, by making those 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 cultures fantastic, you kind of create the fluff and everything like that that kind of will help capture your imagination and drag you into the game uh so i i i you know if anyone has played that i would love for you to you know tell us you know what 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 that is uh how what you think and if that helped kind of catch your imagination and fix the issue of of you know 
making of, of the game being a little bit generic and forcing you to come up with a story as opposed to you know having that story kind of ignite your imagination instead yeah well it's a very it's a different game no it's the same game yeah it's the same game it's a di- i don't think it's going to play as large either because they don't have as many it's like the same thing different units in it what do you mean i don't no, think it's the same thing. Many, yeah you think there's the same very range of units per army yeah okay I, i'm pretty sure it's just like a rebrand right with with new units and models and everything like that to be able to capture you know capture people's attention right because yeah. i think the gameplay like we said is quite good except for the monsters being too weak but like yeah i'm just hoping they shrunk it. those it's probably i'm just fine. hoping they shrunk it down to a smaller game at four by four because the miniatures i saw there weren't oh. like quite as many available but then again you may just bring your own or do whatever there was quite a lot like in the main box there's a certain number but like if you look at the the range it is the full set like you have the monsters you have the trolls you have like three or four different types of, of fighters right like mm-hmm. there is the range yeah from what i saw so all right well that's our thought on not quite mass fantasy battles yeah the, as as mass as we will play fantasy battles mm-hmm yeah, and honestly, it was quite fun. And it's it was great to be able to break out my War Machine models, which I generally do not break out that often because, you know, there's too many models there. <laughs> yeah, it's not a super demanding game. Like, you don't have to think super, super hard because there's not, like, a billion options for every activation. And your units aren't comboing off each other. So it's a game you can, like, be pretty laid back and play and just be like, yeah, this looks really cool because I made this really cool army. So it's not. Yeah, and I think like a lot of it is like the flow of the battle more that that you want to concentrate on, not like specific, you know, uh, what what do you call it? Like specific small tactical moves. It's more about are my units in a good place that if I they don't activate for the next three rounds, right? My opponent gets to activate those three guys. Am I still okay? Should I place them in a place where? they'll be good for next round more. It's more like that as opposed to like, I have to remember to do this thing. And then this guy has to, to do this ability to buff this other guy. Then those three guys can jump ahead extra far and, and do this kind of stuff, which is a lot more like, what do you call it? Rube Goldberg-esque. Like this is more just flow of battle, making sure that, you know, you cover your bases and making sure you allocate that forces, which is a lot easier to play, uh, to think about. Or maybe there was a lot of tactical depth that we just mm-hmm. didn't see because we were drinking a lot. Yeah, well, well, <laughs> we'll never find out if we don't play the game as our main game, so that's okay. Yeah, also, if we always, whenever we play, we always drink, which uh, will also make it us not be able to play mm-hmm. until we figure it out. Yeah, luckily right. it's not Okay. All right, so that's uh, Warlords of Erwan. I'd say uh, overall, uh, I'd recommend it. If you like, like that kind of size of game, try it out. If you if you play the uh, New World version, tell us how it is. I'd love to know. Uh, I know Brandon, you're you're starting to look <laughs> sideways. You're like, oh man, gonna gonna get into another game. But no, no I looked at the miniatures. It's not happening. <laughs> All right. All right, uh, but that has uh, been it for this episode of This or Everything. Uh, if you want to talk to us about what we mentioned, uh, you can contact us at contact at this over everything. Yep, or find us on Facebook. We're Dice Over Everything, or join the Dice Over Everything group to let us know what you've been doing. All right, this has been Alan. It's been Brandon. 
Bye.